Investing in our future. Acting now and acting well with Arabile Kumede. This podcast series is dedicated to considering what decisions we need to commit to in order to see meaningful change. Powered by Standard Bank. As the investment community, we invest in these underlying assets. And we're at the stage where we're saying, you know, enough is enough. We need to take into consideration future generations. And we need to ensure that we protect the environment and the future of our children and our grandchildren so that we also can retire into a world that is a lot more safer. And these things are not mutually exclusive. Welcome to Investing in Our Future, Acting Now and Acting Well, a podcast series unpacking how to redefine business for a regenerative future. In this podcast series, myself, Arabi Lekumete, will be unpacking the current state of environmental, social and corporate governance in South Africa, as well as the shifts needed to make a fundamental change that can achieve a resilient and regenerative economy. Now, if we don't act now, we risk everything. We have reached the limits of business as usual. The environment, society and even the economy can no longer afford for us to play the blame game. The world needs us to solve our problems as business and society. One thing is for sure though, that if we succeed in acting now and acting well, we can redesign the economy and unlock sustainable growth. This discussion today is focused then really on the ESG landscape on the investment manager and how they are looking at things moving into the future. Fatima Vauda is the founder and managing director at 27.4 Investment Managers joining us today. Investing in our future. Acting now and acting well. Powered by Standard Bank. Let's get straight into this conversation then. Do we all view ESG the same? Is is ESG seen the same way in the investor community? So ESG stands for environmental, social and governance issues. And as the investment community, it really is a priority issue globally as well as domestically. You know, we're speaking during a period when the collective voice of investors can make a real dent in achieving objectives such as the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, the 2030 targets as such. Also, South Africa's transition from fossil fuels to renewable energy. Mm. So these are really big discussions, but also issues around governance. You know, South Africa has had the triple challenges of malfeasance and corruption and various issues relating to state-owned enterprises as well as the private sector. And as the investment community, we invest in these underlying assets. And we're at the stage where we're saying, you know, enough is enough. We need to take into consideration future generations and we need to ensure that we protect the environment and the future of our children and our grandchildren so that we also can retire into a world that is a lot more safer. And these things are not mutually exclusive. Mm. They need to be considered in every step of the process. As such, ESG is a number one priority for investors domestically and globally. So basically, you don't even get a seat at the table without sort of an ESG strategy, I suppose then, right? Absolutely. If you're an asset manager, 
culture and you do not integrate ESG in your evaluation process of underlying assets, you will not get a seat at the table. So the regulator from the pension funds perspective in South Africa has issued several regulatory objectives in terms of how retirement funds, when they invest in any kind of underlying asset, they've got to take into consideration the long-term sustainability of that asset. So it is an imperative and a prerogative for any asset manager investing on behalf of the consumer to take into consideration the integration of ESG. What about the ROI on this though, Fatima? Do investors feel like they're getting enough bang for their buck here? Absolutely. I mean, ROI, it's been demonstrated over and over again. Companies that are well managed, that have good policies for women, that have good policies for the labor force, that are have good policies in respect of the communities within which they operate tend to perform much better from a uh, financial perspective. So uh, there is a high correlation between achieving good, sustainable, long-term, consistent investment returns and a a good, solid ESG framework. I mean, you can see it in in, in South Africa, for example, you know, um, if we look at uh, the performance of uh, a a lot of uh, South Africans are invested indirectly into ESCOM bonds and the South African government bonds, because that's where our retirement money is invested. And the performance uh, hasn't been fantastic on the back of poor performance uh, relating to governance issues. So it definitely feeds in directly. You do definitely find that companies that are well-managed have good policies in respect of their people, their human capital, the societies within which they operate, the global environment tend to perform better financially. A simple example, a recent example has been, you know, Sassel grappling with their transition, their just transition into a more favorable environmental position in respect of fossil fuels. And we recently saw several companies put forward shareholder resolutions at the company's AGM. So we we're getting the investor engagement. We're getting shareholder activism. You know, we've had issues on other companies with regards to the appointment of directors with respect to shareholder rights. So, I mean, all these things are very, very important because, you know, we also have an issue around uh, Steinoff a few years ago. And we've had these independent non-executive directors that sit on multiple boards of companies. So the level of depth and knowledge and understanding as well as auditors, you know, the familiarity of auditors with the executive management of companies. With some JSE-listed companies, we've had auditors that have been the auditor of the firm for over 50 years and 100 years. So, I mean, where's the independence of an independent auditor when they've been your auditor for 50 years? So, this has been a very strong point with regards to governance. So, we've seen the rotation. Oba announced the rotation of auditors. So, there's a lot of steps in the right direction that can only be positive. Still to come on investing in our future, acting now and acting well. I'd like to ask Fatima just how it is that investors are going to be spending billions and what is it exactly that they're looking for when it comes to ESG adoption? Does it have to be on its own or do we each focus on every single part of ESG and take it ESG? And one letter at a time, or do you have to focus on everything all at once?
Is ESG the strategy then when when throwing billions into any idea now? And what I mean by that is there's a lot of money that investors are, are looking to push around into, uh, into different projects. But one can just take a look at the global scale, for example, Tesla being one of the, the, the most highly ranked entities of late, really, right? Because of that push into that space of being one, I suppose, ethical, you know, trying to ensure the right kind of corporate governance and always communicating what is happening is especially what uh, Elon Musk is doing. Is that what investors are actually looking for? Is that really the direction that as many entities as possible should be heading down? So I think we have to also consider the generation where we are and what millennials are looking for. But we need to consider the E, the S and the G very, very separately. For example, it's a lot easier to integrate governance type of issues. But when you start thinking about the S and the E, what we do find is that entities find it incredibly difficult. So what is the E? The E is any aspect of physical threats, extreme weather costs to the environment, carbon intensity, changes to regulation that impact climate risk. And we want to get a space where we are dealing with a net zero type of environment. So renewable energy, uh, you know, greenhouse gas emissions, etc. We need to control this. So any kind of solution that is packaged in a way that can deal with environmental risks is going to be attractive. And that's why a stock such as Tesla has done so well. You know, we've just recently heard that Hertz is ordering 100,000 Teslas and we saw the share price spike up. But that is the future. On the social side, we're really talking about issues relating to supply chain dynamics, distribution, marketing. You know, we're talking about health issues. And as a mining community... and and a dominant mining country, you know, big in mining exports, you know, poor labor practices, corporate culture, executive pay gaps. And and you've seen the Department of Trade and Industry and Minister Ibrahim Patel's department talk about the changing of the Companies Act. And, And what we're finding is that even when the performance of companies is very poor in years when JSE listed companies are not generating strong earnings, strong EBITDA, we're seeing CEOs walk away with big bonuses and big salary increases. So we're saying, well, you know, you even get rewarded for non-performance. So how does this actually work? How does the incentivization framework work? Because there's a massive gender pay gap between executive management and ordinary employees. So there's a lot of these sort of issues that really need to be rolled out and companies that are demonstrating good uh, performance in these areas are definitely going to do well. If we look at the world's biggest asset manager, BlackRock, their CEO has come out actively talking about how they would potentially divest from companies or they would engage top level companies. I mean, they're a $10 trillion asset management firm, so they have a huge amount of influence. If we just look in South Africa and if we add up all the savings of ordinary South Africans, we come to close to over 8 trillion rands. So collectively, if 8 trillion rands of capital goes to the CEOs of companies and management of companies and say, we will not invest in your company unless you improve on A, B, C and D, collectively we can achieve the UN SDG goals. We can achieve all these frameworks. But it's just about educating people. It's about creating the right sentiment. It's about creating awareness. You know, simple issues like diversity, equity and inclusion. People Mm. are talking about it now in the US because of Black Lives Matter and wanting to create parity in the private sector and the public sector. We've been talking about it for 400 years. You know, we've got the triple B codes. So it's part of our 
constitution. It's part of our flag. It's part of our bill of rights. So, you know, we're at very different levels, but we're still having these challenges. Yeah, no, we certainly are. And it's, it's, it certainly has been sort of a long thread uh, in different forms and formats then as well. I suppose from here, what one gets to ask themselves then is it's becoming so vital, so important to do. So you said a little bit earlier that perhaps we could even look at the E, the S and the G kind of separately. Is that then what we also need to educate investors about to realize that are all entities going to be affected by all three? Maybe not necessarily. Or does every company need to look at making sure that they complement and and fulfill all three of that ESG? So ESG is also very broad and very wide and it's also very specific to certain regions. So if you look at the United Nations principles for responsible investment, the way those principles work, for example, in a developing country versus how they work in uh, a very developed country is quite different because, for example, if you just take the issues around the just transition and the migration out of fossil fuels, we have to do that in a very orderly way in a country such as South Africa because there's the potential threat of job losses. So how we deal with the just transition is very different to the way, for example, you United States of America or United Kingdom deals with those kind of issues. So ESG is a broad issue and you're 100% correct that different societies, different countries have to deal with issues very differently. And similarly with companies, you know, you can't take all of the issues and think you're going to do well at all of the issues. You can choose one or two, three issues that are very close and dear and management feel together with broader stakeholders that they can achieve significant impact on those two or three issues and run with it and achieve the success and good outcomes. So, you know, for example, the management of companies can think about diversity, equity and inclusion and think that those are critically important issues and put very, very specific targets around those issues and try and achieve those uh, goals and targets within their companies. You know, it's one thing we have BE codes in South Africa and, you know, companies follow a very tick box approach to achieve those scorecards, but they do not focus on the inclusion part. And often people of color within the private sector feel that, yes, they're there, but they're there for, for a certain reason to meet BE targets, but they don't feel as if they are part of the decision-making framework, as if they are part of the strategic framework of driving those businesses forward. So we've got to focus on inclusion. And that's one of the areas that South Africa is falling behind on because there's too many cases of people of color and people of gender feeling that they're part of organizations, but they're not really part of organizations. How do we do better then? How how do we ensure that things like inclusion are part of the discussion? That, for example, uh, some may even complain that, for you know, the, for example, the money that was pledged to South Africa with regards to uh, ensuring that we move step away from coal as much as possible. That that near 128 billion rand that we received, 8.5 billion US dollars. That it's not just one for show, but two that we aren't doing the bidding of the more developed nations when they themselves aren't doing anything seemingly in the right direction. How do we make sure we balance out all of these issues that are certainly plaguing us right now? 
So when we think about issues such as diversity, equity and inclusion, executive pay gaps, all of these sort of issues, as well as the climate-related issues that you've spoken about, uh, our president's announcement of the billions of rands of uh, concessional refinance that's been brought forward by developed economies to support South Africa, it has to be demonstrated from the executive level. Nothing will be achieved. You know, it's been said over and over that culture eats strategy for breakfast. If the culture doesn't change, if it's not being demonstrated from top level management all the way down to employees, to all stakeholders across the board, the voice, the the DNA of the organization needs to demonstrate, it needs to act it out, needs to behave in the right way, needs to send a consistent message out across the board. That's the only way you can, if it's not a priority in the business, if it's not the strategic priority in the business, it's not going to filter through. That's exactly what we've all been asking ourselves. Just, you know, how do we make sure it filters through? Some people might feel like it's all lofty goals. I mean, 2050 seems like a long way away. Even 2030 is a little bit of a, oh, I'll see that later. Especially in a time when right now I may not have water in a few days time. Or now I don't have electricity. So I don't care what happens in the future. I want to concentrate on now. But for us to achieve any of these goals, we kind of have to change things right now, don't we? No, absolutely. And collectively, we can put the pressure on the right people to change the way we are doing things. And one of those areas is the collective voice of money and capital. So if, for example, the biggest shareholder in a lot of companies on the JSE, such as the Public Investment Corporation, managing assets on behalf of the Government Employees Pension Fund, they've got the muscle, they've got the weight, and they actively do engage JSE-listed companies as well as state-owned enterprises on the integration of ESG and behaving better and doing things properly. So when you've got that level of capital and muscle, and if you can pull together all of the capital and resources, you can achieve the type of change that you are seeking to achieve. Where do you think the next steps are then? Investors from here are sort of going to look and say, once upon a time, it was just a select few companies that we're looking at. Now we're looking at every company. The mining industry is probably one of the biggest ones that have maybe led this space in a way because they've had to really focus in on their environment they're in ensuring social and corporate governance because things like the unions have kept them to task primarily. But do you see the corporate sphere changing its ideals, changing its way of thinking to say to itself, this is it now, we need to get this right? Absolutely. So the regulatory framework is definitely there. And if we look at, for example, the influence of the King reports on corporate governance in South Africa, they've been tremendous. You know, the King 4 reports have supported the application of good corporate governance principles and practices and that's been incorporated into companies across the board. If you look at the United Nations backed principles for responsible investment as well as the code for responsible investment in South Africa, asset managers and asset owners have definitely considered these various principles and whilst a lot of them have struggled in terms of how to apply these principles with the prominence of ESG rising in the investment community, we beginning to see very strong improvements across the board because every day you'll see a headline in the front page of the business day about some company or some 
director where people are being exposed or companies are being called upon to behave better. The UN Sustainable Development Goals, you know, South Africa has signed on not only to the goals, but also to the Paris Agreement, for example. And now with COP26, we've made further commitments alongside other G20 countries. So it's about the awareness, I think, has been created and the policies and the mechanisms to ensure long-term compliance is now in place. And implementation has definitely begun. We're beginning to see that the level of greenwashing is reducing across the board. And we call it greenwashing, similar to blackwashing. You know, we don't want greenwashing. Yes, there is quite a bit of greenwashing still taking place, but we are beginning to see real evidence of influence Mm. coming through the system and people beginning to take it more seriously. That's certainly the hope, right? To be able to take it more seriously so we get the task done and hopefully get to 2050 or even 2030 and realize that we were on the right path and we did make inroads into what has been a very critical and important element in our society. Fatima Vauda, thank you so much for the time. Really, really appreciate it. The founder and managing director at 27.4 Investment Managers. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please share it on your social networks. The more people acting well and acting now, the better. Remember to subscribe via your favorite podcast apps in order to receive the episodes as they launch in quick succession. And if you have comments on what has been covered, please further the conversation using the hashtag Powering Impact. Until next time, let's cheers from me. Investing in our future. Acting now and acting well with Arabile Kumede. This podcast series is dedicated to considering what decisions we need to commit to in order to see meaningful change. Powered by Standard Bank.